Listening to the Wisdom Daily Daily Wisdom narrated by Medardo Lasarte Jr. Historically, there are two schools of thought on revenge. The Bible, in Exodus 21-23, instructs us to give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, to punish an offender. But more than 2,000 years later, Martin Luther King Jr. responded, The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. Who's right? A psychologist explore the mental machinery behind revenge. It turns out both can be depending on who and where you are. If you are a power seeker, revenge can serve to remind others you are not to be trifled with. If you live in a society where the rule of law is weak, revenge provides a way to keep order. But revenge comes at a price. Instead of helping you move on, with your life, it can leave you dwelling on the situation and remaining unhappy, psychologist research finds. Considering revenge is a very human response to feeling slighted, humans are atrocious and predicting at predicting its effects. Social psychologist Ian Mackey, PhD of Adelaide University in Australia, studies what makes a person seek revenge rather than just letting it an issue go. In May 2008, he published a paper in Social Justice Research linking vengeful tendencies primarily with two social, two social attitudes, right-wing authoritarianism, right-wing authoritarianism and social dominance and the motivational values that underline those attitudes. People who are more vengeful tend to be those who are motivated by power, by authority, and by desire for status, he says. They don't want to lose face. In his study, Mackey surveyed 150 university students who answered questions about their attitudes toward revenge, authority and tradition, and group inequality. He found that the students whose answers showed a difference to authority and respect for traditions and social dominance, had the most favorable opinions, favorable opinions about revenge, revenge and retribution. Those personalities, Mackey says, tend to be less forgiving, less benevolent, and less focused on universal connectedness type values. There is also a cultural dimension to people's predilection for revenge, says revenge researcher Michelle Gilfand, PhD, a professor of psychology at the University of Maryland, Maryland College Park. She and her collaborators Gary Schittenberg and Kibum Kim have found that different events trigger the revenge process in different cultures. American students feel more offended when their rights are violated, 
whereas Korean students feel more offended when their sense of duty and obligation is threatened. They show in a paper in the January Journal of Cross-Cultural Psychology. That distinction could fuel intercultural conflicts when one side seeks vengeance for a slight the other didn't even know it committed. For example, an American might be more likely to seek revenge on someone who impinges on his or her right to voice an opinion, whereas public criticism that embarrasses a Korean in front of his or her friends might be more likely to trigger revenge feelings. Gelfand has also found that collectivists are more likely than individualists to avenge mothers to avenge another sh another's shame. To collectivist shame to someone with a shared identity is considered as an injury to one's self, she explains. As a result, she says revenge is more contagious in collectivist cultures. You just don't realize those situations are construed by the other culture as very important and self-defining. The emotions that fuel revenge may differ across cultures as well, says Gelfand. In her studies, she has found that anger often drives the vengeful feelings of people in individualistic cultures, while shame powers revenge, revenge in collectivist ones. The Revenge Paradox as someone why they seek revenge, though and they're likely to they're likely to tell you their goal as is catharsis. Catharsis. Ask ask someone why they seek revenge, though and they're likely to tell you their goal is catharsis, says Kevin Carlsmith, PhD. PhD, a social psychologist at Colgate University in Hamilton, New York. But exactly the opposite happens. According to a study he published in May in the May 2008 Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. In a series of experiments, he and his colleagues Daniel Gilbert, PhD at Harvard, and Timothy Wilson, PhD at the University of Virginia, set up a group investment game with students where if everyone cooperated, everyone would benefit equally. However, if someone refused to invest his or her money, that person would disproportionately benefit at the group's expense. Carl Smith planted a secret experimenter in each group and had them convince everyone to invest equally. But when it came time to put up the money, the plants defected. The plants defected. The freed riders, as Carl Smith calls them, earned an average of $5.59 while the other players earned around 2.51. Then Carl Smith offered some groups a way to get back at a free rider. They could spend some of their own earnings to financially punish the group's detector, defector. Virtually everybody was angry over what happened to them, Carl Smith says, and everyone gave the opportunity to it. Virtually everybody was angry over what happened to them, Carl Smith says and everyone gave the, given the opportunity for revenge, took it. He then gave the students a survey to measure their feelings after the experiment. He also asked the groups who had been allowed to punish the free rider to predict how they'd feel if they hadn't been allowed to. 
and he asked the non-punishing groups how they thought they'd feel if they had. In the feeling survey, the punishers reportedly reported feeling worse than the non-punishers, but predicted they would have felt even worse had they not been given the opportunity to punish. The non-punishers said, said they thought they would feel better if they had if they had the opportunity to re for revenge, even though the survey identified them as a, the happier group. In other words, both groups thought revenge would be sweet, but their own report feelings agreed more with MLK Jr. than with Exodus. The results suggest that despite conventional wisdom, people, at least those with wizardized notions of revenge, are bad at predicting their emotional states following revenge, Carl Smith says. The reason revenge may stroke anger's flames may lie in our ruminations, he says. When we don't get revenge, we're able to trivialize the event, he says. We tell ourselves that because we didn't act on our vengeful feelings, it wasn't a big deal, so it's easier to forget it, forget it, and move on. But we do not get, but when we do not, but when we do get revenge, we can no longer triv trivialize the situation. Instead, 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 we think about it a lot. Rather than providing core closure, it does not. It does the opposite. It keeps the wound open and fresh. He says. Revenge or justice. If revenge doesn't make us feel any better, why do we seek it? Carl Smith describes one evolutionary hypothesis suggested by German psychologist, psychologist Ernst Fur, PhD, and Simon Gister, PhD. Punishing others in this context, why they call altru altruistic punishment, is a way to keep societies working smoothly, Carl Smith says. You're willing to sacrifice your well-being in order to punish someone who misbehaves. And to get, to get people to punish altruistically, they have to be fooled into. Fooled into. Hence, evolution might have wired our minds to think that revenge will make us feel good. Another possibility might be that certain groups and societies, such as those in largely lawless Somalia, or in areas of Middle East where tribal rule holds more sway than national government, are more prone to seek revenge because there is just no other way to obtain justice, says Mackey. By and large, these types of impulses have arisen and still exist where there is no recourse to law, he says. That can apply to cultures without a functional legal system or in groups that operate outside the law, like gangs and the mafia. They have to rely on their own retaliatory methods, he says. Some of these cultures might not even experience the negative emotional backlash Carl Smith found in his study. In our experience, Gelfand says cultures that place a high value on revenge offer more social support to avengers. But by looking into what motivates revenge, and by increasing our knowledge about how revenge makes us feel, it might be possible to combine the best aspect of justice and revenge. For example, Mackie studies ways 
that institutional punishment can merge with victims' wishes to participate in that punishment. Victim impact statements, where victims are allowed to describe their ordeal and offer input on offender sentencing, have become common in U.S., Australian, and Finnish courts. That can partially satisfy a victim's vengeful feelings while also putting the responsibility for punishment on the state, protecting the victim from the remuneration, protecting the victim from the remuneration trap Carl Smith describes. The then victims sort to get the best of both worlds. Maki says. Thank you so much for listening in this episode and I hope that you have gained lessons and also have touched a bit of your in your life and if you if you have some time please um, make a rating or some review on my podcast and it, it really helps a lot thank you so much and god bless God bless you and your family.